Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Sugar Freedom Show. I'm your host, Catherine Best Gordon, the author of Sugar Freedom. Today's episode is How Do You Burn Fat? The way that we burn fat is through the mechanism of lipolysis. Let me start with a story, a tale of three dieters. I used to teach Zumba a number of years ago, and I had a Zumba client, and then when I stopped teaching Zumba, I moved into teaching high-intensity high-intensity interval training and resistance training. So anyway, I ran into this client oh, a number of months later, and it was very interesting because she, I, I ran into her in, we were shopping for clothing, and we were chatting about what she had been doing, and she said, well, don't you notice anything? And I just just kind of smiled at her, and she said, well, I've lost 20 pounds. And she said that she had been doing the HCG diet, which you may know is a very low-calorie diet, and then you take the hormones at the same time. And the strange thing about it was she had lost 20 pounds, and she was a woman of average height, and I did not see it. It was not visible. And I think it's so difficult when we look, about the, look at the challenges of losing weight I mean, what could be worse than losing weight and having it not be visible? Now, how does that happen? How is it that a person could lose 20 pounds and you, you literally can't see that their body has changed? Well, in general, my opinion on this is, is that if, if the weight loss is coming from muscle and if it's not coming from fat, very often you're not, you're, you could be losing weight, but you're, it's not going to be visible. Whereas on the other hand, another dieter, I had worked with a client who did, who had, cut sugar, sugar and lifted weight, and over the course of six weeks, she did not lose any weight, but she lost two dress sizes. So what we're looking at is this difference between burning muscle and burning fat and how it can completely change the way dieting, the way exercise actually affects the physical body and the physical appearance. And then a tale of two more dieters, more recent who have been doing intermittent fasting, and these are both gals in their 40s and have had really remarkable changes in their physiques. I don't even know what they weigh, what they weigh before, what they weigh now. And both of them, by doing intermittent fasting, and then one adding resistance training, and then the other one adding um, higher intensity interval training in, in the form of dance, both of them have simply, just in the middle, just simply shrunk. and what happened to both of them was is that they had gained weight a little bit before COVID and then during the COVID lockdown had put some on and now are making these shifts and these changes and the weight is just simply, it appears to be falling off and they're looking healthy and glowing. So actually, so that's the tale of four dieters. But this understanding of where, where your weight loss is coming from is going to make a huge difference in the way you feel, the way you look, and the way you perform. So the question is, how, what is the mechanism that drives fat loss as opposed to weight loss coming from muscle? The process that controls losing fat, using fat as energy, is called lipolysis. And so I'm going to go to the definition of lipolysis. There we go. And uh, I'm going to just go and give you my standard definition from good old Wikipedia process of breaking down of lipids or fats into fatty acids and glycerol. That is lipolysis. And actually, this, de- this definition 
is coming from biology online. And this is a really good definition. And as we go into this definition, then I can kind of dig in, dig in to some of these processes that are going on. The pollicis is the process of breaking down lipids. It entails hydrolysis, whereby a triglyceride, for instance, is broken down into free fatty acids and glycerol. The process occurs mainly in the adipose tissues, and it is used to mobilize stored energy for use by cells. Certain hormones, epinephrine, norepinephrine, testosterone, and cortisol, induce lipolysis. They activate certain receptors on the surface of the adipocytes. This, in turn, activates the enzyme adenylate cyclase. And this enzyme boosts CAMP levels, causing the activation of protein kinase A, which activates lipases. This is so important. Lipase is an enzyme that speeds up the breakdown of lipids. And I'll go on and read a little bit more from biology online. In particular, the epinephrine from the bloodstream binds to the receptors of the adipocyte. And this causes the adipocyte to produce more CAMPs. And this activates protein kinase A. Now, one of the things that's really important about this is that then this catalyzes the breakdown of triglyceride into glycerol and fatty acid. And what's important about glycerol is that that can then enter the Krebs cycle and it can create ATP, which is energy. And then it can also go into gluconeogenesis, which can provide the glucose that the brain needs. And this is so important because one of the arguments against against things like intermittent fasting and ketogenic diets is this idea that, oh my goodness, the brain needs that glucose and where's your brain going to get the glucose? Well, the reality is, is that through the process of lipolysis, the brain can get that glucose through the process of gluconeogenesis. In addition, with a ketogenic diet, the brain can burn ketones for fuel. And actually, ketones are a pretty clean burning fuel in the brain. So when you're going into intermittent fasting or when you're doing a ketogenic diet, you're not going to starve the brain of glucose because the brilliant, the marvelous human body can make that glucose and so then that fuel is still available. One of the things that's so important as well about understanding the mechanism and the function of either you know, intermittent fasting where you're not eating for a certain amount of time or the function of the ketogenic diet where you're reducing your glucose load, any of the sugar, the grains that you're taking into the body, is that both of those are going to lower the insulin level. And I think if you take one thing away from this podcast today is the understanding of the mechanism of insulin in the bloodstream and what insulin does in in terms of turning on or turning off fat storage and fat burning. The insulin, as opposed to the catecholamines, and the catecholamines are the dopamine, the epinephrine, the norepinephrine, the catecholamines are going to turn on, are going to unlock the fat cell and turn on the fat burning process. But the insulin is going to stop that process. And I think, let's just go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the things that that we've learned since we've dealt with COVID-19. If you are studying some of the science about how COVID-19 works and how it locks into the cells, we begin to realize how important it is for everyone in our daily lives to understand cell biology and that there are receptors on cells that turn off and turn on the things that cells do. 
And if we look at COVID, one of the things that it does is that it locks on to the ACE2 receptor. And in the same way, if we understand lipolysis and how insulin turns off or turns, or the absence of insulin can allow lipolysis to happen, we begin to understand that understanding cell biology is important to everybody on the planet. If you learn cell biology, and if you learn about metabolism, you begin to understand how you can seek out the truth when it comes to things like diet and exercise and health and wellness. And why is that so so important? That is so crucially important because health and wellness, weight loss, fat loss, these pursuits generate enormous amounts of revenue, billions and billions of dollars a year, because people are looking for a solution to getting lean, healthy, losing weight, losing fat instead of losing muscle. And if you understand the biological processes behind fat loss or weight loss, you know the truth. You have an opportunity to go and look at articles. You know what to look for when you, when you search online, and you begin to understand who and where the reputable sources are. Let me give you an example. Obviously, I've been following a ketogenic nutrition strategy for the last 13 going on 14 years. So I have a belief in and a commitment to the ketogenic approach. So I have a little bit of a bias. I mean, obviously, if I'm going on online and I'm searching and I'm looking information on ketosis or fat burning, there's going to be a temptation in me to really be looking for the information that is going to support my point of view. So one of the things that I need to do as a writer and as a blogger and as a podcaster is go into this research, being aware of this bias and making sure that if something goes against what I'm looking for, that I don't just simply shove it aside, that I go ahead and take a look. And one of the other things that's so important is that as I go and research lipolysis, what I'm looking at is I'm what's coming up is textbooks, um, sites like, for example, biology online, that so many of the articles that I'm reading have absolutely nothing to do with how to lose weight. They basically are talking about the basic nuts and bolts science of things like lipolysis. And as you begin to go down this research pathway, sometimes things are going to come up that are going to confirm what's already happening. And sometimes little things are going to come up that don't confirm it. I'm going to go ahead and give you an example of that right now. This is really interesting. As we look at insulin and we look at insulin resistance, so we're talking about how the difference between glucagon and insulin or catecholamines and insulin, how the glucagon and catecholamines start the fat-burning process. They unlock the cell. And then insulin stops the fat-burning process. It locks onto the receptors and stops that fat-burning, fat-releasing process from happening except in insulin resistance. In the condition of insulin resistance, sometimes the insulin has less of of an effect of locking up that fat storage, which is actually counter to my assumptions, because my assumption would be that the insulin is always going to stop the process, even in insulin resistance. But what I'm realizing is that when you're in insulin resistance, that the insulin stops relying on that fat cell. 
which seems a little bit strange to me because one of the things that a ketogenic diet does and also intermittent fasting does is that it lowers insulin and increases insulin sensitivity. So insulin sensitivity is so important because as long as insulin sensitivity is present, that means that we don't have hyperinsulinemia or chronic hyperinsulinemia where the insulin is constantly in the bloodstream blocking and stopping this fat for energy process. So one of the things that I really want to express in terms of someone who is being truthful, someone who is really looking for the truth, even when it doesn't support her position, is I want to reveal these kinds of things and share them in my podcast so that you can have an understanding that I'm not just simply here to say, all right, I'm going to prove that the ketogenic diet is always a good thing. So I'm going to take all of the research that I can find that proves my point. This is one of the ways that you can sometimes tell that somebody is telling the truth is that when they are willing to, number one, admit that there are things that they don't know, and number two, admit to sometimes that there are things that are counter to their argument. So that's one of the things that I wanted to look at there. So now, one of the main reasons I'm doing this podcast is I like to take the science and then bring it into an understanding of how it affects us in our daily life. So we've talked about lipolysis, and it's how a fat cell is broken down, how triglycerides are broken down, and creating that glycerol hormone, which can then go into the Krebs cycle, which is going to generate ATP, which is energy. All right, how does that knowledge affect how we feel and how we behave when we do a diet or an exercise program? Well, here's how. So if we're talking about the way that the cell is unlocked, that what is required is that insulin and glucose have to go down low enough so that glucagon can come up and the catecholamines can be activated so that we unlock the fat cell and we start to open up the fat cell and use it to burn energy, which of course is ideal because if you're burning fat for energy, you're using up those fat stores, you've got energy and you're burning that fat and you're getting leaner and smaller and tighter. For example, going back to the example of my client, Michelle, who even though she did not lose any weight over six weeks, she dropped two sizes because what's happening is she's building muscle and she's burning fat stores. So she's getting smaller and leaner and tighter, but she isn't weighing any less. And for example, here's an image I want you to think of. Think about um, just like a 10-pound kettlebell, the size of a 10-pound kettlebell. And now think of a sofa cushion. So that sofa cushion is going to weigh significantly less than that 10-pound kettlebell. But a sofa cushion is going to be significantly larger in volume than that kettlebell is going to be. So simply imagine imagine the kettlebell on one hand, the size of that, and then imagine the size of a sofa pillow, which I think is a pretty good illustration of density, volume, and the space that something takes up. So my client, Michelle, she was taking up significantly less space, even though she was at the exact same weight. So if you understand how that mechanism works, I think when you're in a situation where, say that you're starting either intermittent fasting, you're starting a ketogenic diet. Last week, the episode, we talked about Phil Mickelson's intermittent fast using coffee. And 
he had said to his friend that you have to understand for like the first two days, you're going to feel really, really lousy. And what's happening during those first two days, okay, so the glucose levels are dropping, insulin levels are dropping, but in that time, you haven't upregulated all of the processes that are going to allow, us, allow you to use burn fat for fuel instead of burning glucose for fuel. So you have about that 24 to 48-hour hour period where you're in this kind of, I don't want to call it a limbo, but you're in this transitional period, and how are you going to get through that period? And, of course, what I've always talked about is that, you know, you know drink chicken broth. You make sure that you're having adequate protein and fat so at least you aren't dealing with hunger so that you can get through that transition and get into the time when all of the enzymes are upregulated and all systems are going, you are able to burn fat for fuel. If you understand the science of lipolysis, if you understand what is going on during that 24 or 48-hour period when you're feeling that low-carb flu, that Atkins flu, that keto flu, you understand that what you're doing is you're waiting for the upregulation of these enzymes that are involved in the lipolysis process, in the fat-burning process. And understanding as well how sugar oh, sugar, because of course I am the sugar-freedom woman, more science is that if you go into the research of how sugar blocks these processes, because let's look at those catecholamines. You've got dopamine, and then you've also got uh, epinephrine and norepinephrine, is that, and especially with dopamine, and about two years ago, I did a series of YouTube videos looking at how eating sugar and eating grains and eating processed carbohydrates blocks the reception, the production, and also it blocks the brain's ability to hear and listen to dopamine. If you understand how reaching for the donut or the scone or the, or the Doritos, if you understand how going ahead and reaching for that and putting that into your body, it's going to knock you off of that fat-burning train. It's going to knock you off of that track and it's going to put you right back into trying to get, you know, pleasure and stimulation, dopamine and serotonin from the sugar and the junk food rather than going through the process, getting into lipolysis where these feel-good enzymes, the, the ability to experience the functions of dopamine and serotonin can make you healthy and happy and content within your lower sugar, lower processed food lifestyle. So what you're getting as you go into either with intermittent fasting or with the ketogenic nutritional program, what you're getting is you're getting this win-win. So not only are you getting a fat stores, which are almost unlimited compared to like glucose and glycogen stores, not only are you getting access to all of this energy which your body can use once you upregulate up the, the, the Krebs cycle and making ATP out of fat instead of making it out of glucose, that you've got all of this energy available on one side. So you've got you know, plenty of ATP so you can go out and do the functions of your daily living. But on the other side, I believe, and of course this is a different subject, that you're actually increasing your ability to respond to dopamine and serotonin epinephrine, norepinephrine, that you're, well, really, in the, do the dopamine and the serotonin are the most important in, in terms of feeling good and feeling happy. So you've got this extraordinary win-win situation. 
And if you understand why this win-win is working, I believe that you're going to be much less likely to reach for foods or snacks or other things that are going to knock you out, knock you off of this fat burning track. And I'll just give you an example from my own life. I live with, you know, some people who don't need to follow a low sugar, low grade, low carbohydrate nutritional lifestyle in order to stay, you know, happy and healthy and energetic enough to lead their daily lives. I can't, if I try to follow the standard American diet, also known as SAD, I will literally end up sad and in pain and it's just, it's a disaster. Just after 24 hours of eating like a normie, um, I just feel absolutely miserable. My joints ache. Not, not a good scene. However, I do live with people who absolutely can eat those kinds of foods and can eat them with impunity. They can eat pretty much whatever they want and then go to sleep and get up the next day and away they go. As a result, there are quite a few things in the house that are, um, you know, high-quality treat foods that are the typical treat foods that are, you know, you know pastries and chocolates and ice creams and all of these snacks. They, they are in my house. And sometimes when something is really elegant and really special, um, my husband recently had a birthday, and so he got some beautiful Belgian chocolates. And there they are. They're actually sitting on a counter in the house, and this makes me realize I need to probably put them in the cupboard so I'm not looking at them whenever I sit down to eat, is that there can be that siren song of the highest quality, you know, these, these treats of the highest quality, and wouldn't it be lovely to have just one of those? But what is so wonderful, having been in nutritional ketosis for so many years and having experience with this lifestyle and also understanding the science, I know that if I reach for that Belgian chocolate and I eat it, there's a number of things that are going to happen, that there's going to be a, a dopamine cascade that's going to hit me really hard because I am a sugar addict, which can put me right back onto that sugar roller coaster where I have to like eat sugar and my energy drops and then I feel bad about myself. And not only that, but what happens when I reach for sugars or grains or processed snack foods is that not only do I get the initial dopamine surge, which makes me eat and eat and eat and eat and eat until I can't eat anymore, is that I believe what happens is then as my insulin levels rise, as my glucose levels rise, then they're actually blocking my ability to experience dopamine and serotonin. So it's a lose, 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 lose in that. I can't even, even when the dopamine and the serotonin is in my bloodstream, it blocks my receptors and it blocks my ability to actually feel, to get the feel-good feelings from that, which then leads me to the hormone leptin. One of the things that happened a few years ago is there was this big craze about, you know, taking leptin and trying to increase leptin in the bloodstream because, you know, leptin was supposed to if as leptin levels rise, it was supposed to you know, suppress appetite and, and increase fat burning. But the problem is, is that leptin is a lot like insulin. If you have the right amount in the bloodstream, not too much, the body stays leptin sensitive. So in the same way that if you've got too much insulin circulating all of the time, you develop insulin resistance, your body can't hear the insulin anymore in the same way. If you've got a lot of leptin circulating, which if you're obese, you have more leptin circulating in the blood, once again, 
the lesson is turned up so loud that you can't hear it anymore. And I think one of the best analogies that I can say is, say if you, you live in an atmosphere where somebody is constantly playing loud music, whether it's through your headphones or whether you live in an apartment or whether you've got a roommate or somebody who is constantly playing loud music, that what happens is you become desensitized to the noise. And that desensitization can actually damage your hearing, damage your eardrums over time. So it's the same kind of thing. I would like you to think of insulin and leptin, I would like you to think of them as like noise. And at the right level, it's not going to be annoying, it's going to work, it's going to be soothing. But if you constantly got the leptin high and the insulin high, Think of it as loud noise and where the body just stops responding to it because it's just too loud. So I think if you can take those, those ideas away from this podcast, this understanding of how lipolysis is triggered by the decrease in insulin, the increase in glucagon and catecholamine, and then also this understanding of insulin and leptin resistance, that if you've got too much of it flowing through the bloodstream all of the time, that your body is, going, is not going to be able to listen to it and hear it and respond to it correctly. So that is today's podcast on lipolysis and understanding how the process of breaking down free fatty acids is triggered in the body, how it's managed in the body, and how that can actually connect to the way you eat and the way you exercise, because exercise also, especially muscle building, increases insulin sensitivity and also starts the process of lipolysis. Exercise itself can tell the body to go ahead, unlock those fatty acid stores, so you have plenty of ATP to keep going. So that is my podcast for today. I'm Catherine Best Gordon, the author of Sugar Freedom at sugarfreedom.com. And I just want to say, remember, train for what you love and eat for yourself, and keep discovering the way that you respond to food and fitness and lifestyle, and then come back here. We'll be back here next week on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific with another episode of the Sugar Freedom Show. Be well, everybody, and like I said, eat for yourself.